Welcome, my name is Michael Aceta. I'm the founder of Matador Canine Brilliance and author of the Dog Training Cheat Codes. You're listening to the Acknowledged Dogs Podcast. Welcome to today's episode. We're going to be talking about something that can save you so much time, so much energy, so many resources at your disposal. Just doing this one thing can change everything for you. Before I jump into that, I want to let you know I got a little bit of an announcement. I'm giving away access to Matador University for 14 days so you can test it out and see if it works for you and your family. If you're interested, head over to matadorcanine.com slash 14-day trial. matadorcanine.com slash 14-day trial. Go check that out. If you like it, you can uh, get it set up for the rest of the year, but you can test it out for 14 days absolutely free at matadorcanine.com slash 14-day trial. So I want to tell you a little story. I was working with this lovely gentleman and his dog. He had three kids, and the dog was aggressive towards the kids. He had tried for months to work with this dog. He tried correcting the dog. He tried an e-collar. He tried rewarding the dog, redirecting the dog, and then ended up just managing their entire life. The dog couldn't go anywhere. The dog couldn't do anything. The kids couldn't hang out with the dog. The dad had to stay home and watch the kids with the dog. And this was months of him trying to figure all of this out. When we started working together, the first thing I asked him is, okay, what have you done? What have you tried? And he explained everything. And I said, okay, did you ever do this? He said, no, I've never heard of that. I said, great, let's do it. We did it. He figured out the answer to what I'm going to share with you. And within the next two to three weeks, this dog was able to hang out near the kids. Not unsupervised, right? We still had a long way to go. But the dog was now able to exist near the kids, And another two to three weeks later, the dog was able to hang out with the kids. They were able to pick the dog up. They were actually able to do things. He was able to take his dog out for a walk with the kids and not be stressed out the whole time. He then was able to join class, which was remarkable. Because they couldn't do any of this a month and a half prior. So what am I talking about? What did I have him do that saved him so much time? And if he had done it in the beginning, if the other trainers had helped him do this in the beginning, he would have been light years ahead of him, like, struggling through all of this stuff. It's called a preference test. A preference test. Now, a preference test is designed to find out what a learner or organism prefers over other things. It's very simple. It's a preference test. Do you prefer chocolate or vanilla ice cream? Do you prefer sprinkles or hot fudge? What do you prefer? Do you prefer to sleep on the right side of the bed or the left side of the bed? Do you prefer to sleep with the door open or closed? Do you prefer to sleep under the covers or on top of the covers? With the AC on or with the fan on? With the window open or with the window closed? Those are preferences. We have preferences throughout an entire life. Everybody has a preference about everything, and that is very clear with social media. You can't go on social media without someone showing you their preference, their opinion. Now, it is vital for your dog to have a preference and to know what their preference is. The moment you understand what their preference is, you can start to accelerate your dog training exponentially. I cannot emphasize that enough. 
with this client, we went from months of him struggling, trying to figure this out and trying an e-collar, trying to counter condition the dog and then just managing it, just giving up practically. I'm happy that he finally came to me and we started working on it because otherwise either this dog would have been put down because it would have bit the kids again, or he would have had to get rid of the dog and another family would have had to go through the entire process again, which means the dog probably would have gotten on an e-collar again, probably would have been managed again. That dog would not have had a good life simply because they missed this one tiny little step, preference testing. So how do you do a preference test? This is what you're going to do. You're going to get 10 things that you think your dog might like, just 10. And we're going to start off with food. You can do this with treats as well. You can do this with any type of reward. You can do this with games, with the same toy, right? Now, you have to think analytically about this. If you did not listen to the computer podcast, don't be a robot, be a computer, right? If you listen to that, then I want you to think about being in that side of mode, that analytical, objective style. If you haven't, go back and listen to that episode. It's a wonderful episode. You're going to be analytical. You're going to write everything down. I want you to become a scientist, a mathematician, if you will. This is going to make it 10 times easier for you. If you're an individual who's involved in fantasy sports and you, you check the, uh, you know, the, the graph of seeing how teams stack up against each other and who's going to the championship, that's what you're going to do with reward items. So let's say food. Let's say we have beef, chicken, turkey, and lamb. Beef, chicken, turkey, lamb. Beef and chicken are going to go up against each other, and turkey and lamb are going to go up against each other. Whoever wins out of those two are then going to go up against each other. So beef and chicken, let's say chicken wins. Turkey and lamb go against each other, let's say lamb wins. So round two is the chicken and the lamb going against each other. Who wins? Let's say the lamb wins. Now we know that the lamb is at the top of our dog's preference. Chicken is second, and then turkey and beef are at the bottom. So now we have three tiers. We have a hierarchy, and we're going to talk about how to use that hierarchy in a little bit. But we have this very clear structure of what our dog really loves, what our dog likes, and what our dog will accept as a reward. The turkey and the beef are what they accept. Accept The chicken was what they liked, and the lamb is what they really loved. When you are teaching anything new, you want to use what they love. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I've, I've jumped over the preference testing. I've gone right to the hierarchy because of how important that is. Let me take a step back. The preference test, I said we were going to use 10 items. You want to use 10 items or more because you need to have a large sample set in order to have a real understanding of what your dog's preference is. We only went through four items, chicken, beef, turkey, and lamb. What if out of those four, the lamb was the favorite, but your dog really loves bison? Or your dog really loves hot dogs? Your dog really loves mozzarella string cheese? or cheddar, or Monterey Jack, although that's not good for your dog. I was just thinking of cheeses. Provolone, okay? You got to find out what do they actually love. And you do that by having a wide sample set and doing this test over and over and over again. When you do this, you're going to either have your dog in their crate, you could put them on a place where they have them stay, or you could back tie them, take the leash, tie it to a tree, or you could tie it to the bathroom door. And you're going to put a couple of treats out in front of your dog, equally distant from your dog, but in varying orders. So one might be to the left, one might be to the right, and one might be in the middle. 
Let's say if we're going from left to right, it's beef, chicken, and turkey. Beef, chicken, and turkey, left to right. I'm going to practice this again before I decide that one is better than the other ones. Let's say the first time they go towards beef, because that's to the left, beef, chicken, turkey. If the next time we do it, I put the beef in the same spot, but I switch the chicken and the turkey, and my dog goes back to the beef, they go back to the left, we know that either one, beef is the winner, or two, your dog likes whatever's to the left of them. So instead, we're going to change that now. We're going to go chicken, beef, turkey. If they go straight for the beef, we know that beef is the winner. However, if they go to the left again and they get the chicken, then we know that there's a problem with our setup. This is very, very important. You must create checks and balances in your study here, your little scientific uh, research here. If there are discrepancies in the research, then you're getting the wrong answer. Oh, my dog loves beef. Yeah, because it was the closest one to him. He enjoyed going to the left to get it, not because it was his favorite or her favorite. So you need to make sure that you are 100% accurate and unbiased and analytical about this approach. And then you'd move on to the next set of rewards, and you test those out. And then we move into the next tier until we get a champion who loves that particular reward because you've tested it against all of those other things. What I've seen from trainers and from clients who think they're doing the preference test, but they're not really, they're kind of just seeing what their dog likes, is the dog will start to wait for the better option. Dogs are insanely smart they will learn to wait for the better option. I was working with a Husky that would have one treat in the beginning of the session and would have a separate treat by the end of the session because the owners brought treat after treat after treat. The Husky learned, well, I can take this treat, and when I get bored of that one, mom and dad have a better one for me. So I'm just going to wait until they have the better one, and then I'll start actually listening. That is not what you want. You do not want a dog that picks and chooses the rewards after the fact. You want a dog that picks and chooses the rewards during a preference test before we've started working on anything. Once you have that preferred reinforcement, once you have that, that right thing, you can start to work insanely quickly. Until you have that, you are wasting time. You are wasting energy, you're wasting money on treats, and you're wasting time with your dog. You could take the same dog in the same situation and teach it the same skill in one-tenth of the time if you have the right reinforcement. I was working with another dog, and they were using uh, freeze-dried treats. It took us a couple of weeks. The dog was learning, but it was taking so long. I said, guys, have you ever done a preference test? And they said, no, we've never done a preference test. And I said, okay. And this was back in my earlier in my career. Now I have everybody do a preference test. But... I said, hey, have you guys ever done this? They said, no, we haven't done this. I said, okay, go do it. Right? Go out, get a whole bunch of different things. They came back the next week. This dog was approved to be in classes. This dog was approved to go work in front of other dogs where it previously couldn't, simply because they had the right reward. It was cheddar and mozzarella string cheese like woven together. I'm not saying you got to go above and beyond and create something new for your dog. There's plenty of options out there. But oftentimes, we only look at the options that are in the treat aisle. 
you do not even be- you could not believe how many options are out there. You got to find at least 10. If you can get 20 or 30, you will really narrow down what your dog loves. And the way to know that they really love it is they become dead serious when you pull it out. They completely change. They are not over the moon excited. They are excited, but they can control themselves because their only focus is that item. Have you ever seen a video of me on social media, which if you're not following me on social media, at Matador Canine, at Matador Canine, spelt out canine, not K in the number nine, at Matador Canine, you'll see a video of Hawk losing his happy-go-lucky breathing and closing his mouth and narrowing down so precisely and serious on a tennis ball because of how much he loves it. I pull out the tennis ball, and he goes dead-eyed. Boom. Locks onto the tennis ball. That is what you want when you pull out their favorite treat. So how do we use that hierarchy? How do we implement what they love, what they like, and what they'll tolerate as a reward, or what they'll accept as a reward on the bottom level? When you're teaching something new, you're going to use the thing that your dog really loves. When you're teaching something new, complex, important, you're going to use what they love. As you move into the other stages of training, you're working on duration, you're working on distance, you're working around distractions in some cases, or you're maintaining the behaviors, you're going to use what they like. This is because although they've been rewarded so heavily, they now know the behavior. They're expected to do the behavior because they know it. I can ask for it reliably. They'll do it reliably. Now I'm just working on some other things. Maybe here and there I'll toss in the treat that they love, but I want to start weaning them off of treats. And sometimes it's easier to do that by showing them what they like instead of what they love. It also boosts their motivation to train newer things with you because that's the fastest way to get what they love. So if you're doing regular obedience, sit down, stay, come, heal, and you do everything with the thing they love. And now you've moved that skill set into the treats that you like or the dog likes. Now let's say you start doing agility, the tunnel, A-frame, the dog walk, jumps. All of those things can now be used with the treat that they love. So they will enjoy agility, but they're still getting rewarded for obedience. You're just using the treats that they like for obedience. This means they're not going to give up the obedience, but they really want to get to the agility portion. They want to do the agility stuff, the fun stuff. That's a great way to play around with this hierarchy of treats. And then after you've maintained the behaviors, after you've done so much training with them that you could practically never reward them again, and they'll do the behavior, it's been so conditioned in their brain, then, and only then, can you move into the treats they will tolerate? Breakfast and dinner, in most cases, are going to be treats that they tolerate. Okay? They love breakfast and dinner, but they would really love a hot dog. Okay, well, breakfast and dinner, I'm going to do all those behaviors you know how to do so perfectly, so solidly. I'm going to use breakfast and dinner to get you to do those. And then I'm going to use the things you like to work on the behaviors we have been working on and are in a second stage of training. And then when I'm teaching you something new, I'm going to be using the things that you love. Now, 
I want to remind you of that 14-day free trial of Matador University. If you are thinking about being serious with your dog and you want to train with them and you want all the information at your fingertips, head over to matadorcanine.com slash 14-day trial. You can get access to one of the most extensive video and audio training libraries on the planet so that you have everything at your fingertips. You can work with your dog anywhere, anytime, any place. MatadorK9.com slash 14-day trial. Go check that out. Now, how do you use all of those treats effectively when you got 800 things going on? Right? You have literally 800 things going on. You're trying to train sit. You're trying to train tricks. You're trying to train this. You're trying to train that. How do you use them effectively? You could have multiple treat pouches. That's an easy way to do it. Right? I'm going to have two treat pouches, one with my dog loves, one with my dog what they like. You can do that. I've seen plenty of people do that. I prefer to set up different training situations. It makes it clearer for my dogs to understand. If we're teaching something that's a different feeling, that's a different vibe, than if we're just working on the things that my dog knows how to do. Oftentimes when I'm teaching something, it's in a quiet space. So it might be on a field with nobody around. It might be in the living room. It might be in the bedroom. It might be in the kitchen. So I'm going to use the things that are high value to teach those new skills. Shaping, clicker training. All of those things are going to be used with the I love treats. Then when we go outside and we start working around distractions, I start adding in some distance with stay or I want to have my dog reliably recall to me. Reliable, I mean, let me take a moment here. Reliable recall or name recognition, I might still use the I love treats because of how important those behaviors are. If my dog doesn't sit immediately upon a, a slight distraction, okay, I can still reward them. They did sit. It wasn't perfect. Dogs aren't perfect. They're not robots. But if I want them to recall, I need to make sure that I have something so valuable for them to recall to. So I want to make sure that the recall is efficient and effective. And so I might still use a high-valued treat, the preferred reinforcement, that beef or that lamb, that hot dog. I might still use that for a longer period of time than anything else. Once my dog knows the behavior, I can move on. That's how you use it efficiently. Because those high-valued rewards don't have to be expensive, but they certainly can be. If your dog's an expensive dog, they like liver, then yeah, that's going to that's gonna cost you a pretty penny after a while. And you're not going to enjoy it. You're going to get fed up with it. You're like, man, I just want to use the free-dried stuff that my friend uses or the other people in class use. <laughs> when uh, I was in college... We would have about 25 dogs in a room. Everybody had their own dog, not their personal dog, but the dog they were working with. And we all had treats. And we all did a preference test, and we found out what the dog likes. But you would often find that the other dogs in the room wanted what you had, sometimes more than your own dog, because it was a novelty to them. They were like, oh, man, I'm smelling something, and I want it. And then when they got close to you, they would try to steal a treat. It becomes very difficult when you're trying to work with your own dog and another dog's coming over trying to get a treat from you, right? And if you have multiple dogs, you know what this is like. You're trying to work with one and they come over and they just, they create chaos. <laughs> so it's very often that the other dogs would want the treat that you had, which means now you're competing the trainers are competing to get all of the dog's attention. It's a fun little game to play. So you could do that with your family members. All right, everybody pick out a treat, and we're all going to compete to see who can keep our dog's attention. 
Now, I don't say anything here because you don't want them to ignore your other family members for you. But maybe get goofy, be silly, play with the treats a little bit, and see who can keep the dog's attention more. That's a wonderful exercise, a wonderful fun game. Maybe it starts family fights. I don't know. (laughs) But I think it's rather fun. Guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, please let me know. Rate this episode, review it. If you're listening on Apple, Google, or Spotify, I appreciate you. If you're listening anywhere else, please let me know so I can shout you out. And I want to thank everybody who's listening from other parts of the world, from Australia, from Italy to Canada. I love you guys. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.